Was the widespread dust-up over the 2020 presidential election results not only foreseen, but a plan? What is dangerous about the Great Reset, which COVID is providing a vehicle to introduce to the public? How has Operation Warp Speed's plan to speedily introduce vaccines for COVID-19 linking up with bioelectronics and pharmacovigilance? How does the fight against COVID link up with the development of 5G? On this week's Global Research News Hour, we feature an exclusive interview with another staff writer from thelastamericanvagabond.com, Derek Brose. We will look at the most recent developments regarding the COVID situation, Trump Republican refusing to accept the election results, Operation Warp Speed, and other related issues, some of which contradict the presentations afforded by mainstream media. On this week's program, COVID, the Great Reset, Warp Speed, and the Arrival of the Darkest Winter, a conversation with Derek Brose. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of November 27, 2020. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaki, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nahiwak and the Nakota. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today, from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States, and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Xi was originally meant to be premier to Li Keqiang, who was meant to be president. But Xi was able to persuade the military that he was their man more than the economist Li. Xi shook things up, refuses to leave office, an option not available to Trump unless his diligent, hair-dry, dripping lawyers have reinterpreted the Constitution in ways not attempted before, and prefers to have his country invest in itself rather than seek markets elsewhere. Xi has abandoned going global for Chinese business and finance. Xi, instead, is, again you've guessed it, putting China first. That comes from the article, Xi Jinping's China First, by Tong Clifford, posted November 25th. Today, our generation is called upon to take up the fight against the despotic rule of a corrupt clique of politicians and their sinister backers in order not to gamble away our own future and that of our children. Parents and educators are particularly called upon to do so, as many small children and school children are already severely traumatized. But most citizens cannot decipher the, quote, flaming writing on the wall, unquote, and remain inactive. A sense of authority, irrational fears, and a reflex of obedience prevent them from doing so. With real knowledge of the diabolical plans of the ruling billionaire and power elite, 
they would try with unbending will to overcome the partly unconscious mechanisms of their inner resistance. That comes from the article, The Vicious Circle of Violence and Obedience, Exercise the Right to Individual and Collective Resistance, by Dr. Rudolf Hansel, posted November 25th. Many on the left were not keen on Biden because he supported the Iraq War, played a key role in the 1994 crime bill that led to mass incarceration, and refused to oppose fracking and back universal health care. They didn't enthusiastically back Biden, but rather voted against Trump's escalating fascism. Trump could not have been defeated but for the activism of progressives and grassroots organizing, Norman Solomon wrote at Common Dreams. Quote, Now on vital issues, climate, health care, income inequality, militarism, the prison industrial complex, corporate power, and so much more, it's time to engage with the battle that must happen inside the Democratic Party, unquote. Solomon advocates, quote, a combative approach toward corporate Democrats, unquote. That comes from the article, Biden's victory does not guarantee a progressive agenda. We must fight for it. By Professor Marjorie Cohn, posted November 25th, originally published at Truth Out. A British Supreme Court judge has slammed the UK government as control freaks for attempting to control people's lives under the guise of COVID and labeled it, quote, morally and constitutionally indefensible, unquote, to define what freedoms the public should and shouldn't have. In an op-ed published Sunday, Lord Sumption noted that the, quote, debate about whether to let us have a family Christmas perfectly sums up what is wrong with this government's handling, unquote, of the crisis. Sumption wrote that there are, quote, many different answers to the dilemmas of a COVID Christmas, unquote, yet the crux of the matter is, quote, whether we should be allowed to make the choice for ourselves instead of having it imposed on us by law, unquote. Quote, but for the Jacobins of the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, or SAGE, and the control freaks in the Department of Health, theirs is the only answer, unquote. Sumption urged. The British government has posited allowing people to spend five days in the company of their relatives over Christmas, but with the caveat that in January they will have to pay back the privilege with more lockdown time, specifically another 25 days. That comes from the article, UK Supreme Court Judge Slams Totalitarian COVID Control Freaks in Government, by Steve Watson, posted November 25th, originally published in Summit News. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. In the United States, following the election on November 3rd, numerous legal challenges have been brought to courts. Trump 
claims he has been subjected to widespread voter fraud and has secured support from the vast majority of Republicans. On October 29th, a documentary video entitled The Darkest Winter shines a spotlight on a group called the Transition Integrity Project, or TIP, which anticipated a number of scenarios under which Trump lost but refused to leave office. This secretive group was made up of never-Trump neocons and Democrats associated with Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. But the contours of this dynamic stretch well beyond the presidential contenders. It has implications for how the so-called second wave of the corona blight and a rush of vaccines will have its impacts on an unprecedented situation. The producer of Darkest Winter is a fellow by the name of Derek Brose. I asked him to be a guest on my program, and he agreed with enthusiasm. Over the course of this program, we start with his work on Darkest Winter, and then stretch out our discussion into The Great Reset, Operation Warp Speed, and the largely under-investigated 5G systems, which relates to the COVID situation. Derek Brose is an interesting individual in his own light. He is a freelance investigative journalist, documentary filmmaker, author, and public speaker, seeking to expose corruption find solutions to the problems that affect all of humanity, and promote localization and decentralization. Derek is a Houstonian who has survived depression, drug addiction, and prison. Since 2010, he has dedicated his life to improving the city of Houston and the world at large as an activist, journalist, and radio show host. In 2019, Derek joined the race for mayor of Houston. As of 2020, he is the author of five books and writer of five documentaries. Derek Brose is currently a staff writer for The Last American Vagabond, co-host of Free Thinker Radio on 90.1 FM, and the founder of the Conscious Resistance Network and the Houston Free Thinkers. He joined us from Mexico City. You've wrote, written a, a number of articles. I, I think one of the more recent I'd like to start with, Darkest Winter. Um, this is a, a documentary which essentially came out before Election Day, and uh, it, it describes the prospect of election results not being accepted by one side or the other, and uh, an ongoing tension erupting to the point of violence and martial law potentially being put into place. Um, it was based on an exercise, and uh, you predicted the, the scenario, well, somewhat accurately, it seems to me, um, the current situation involves not just the crazy Trump, but like a large number of people, like 70% of the Republican Party, uh, are, are saying that there's been election fraud. Uh, and, and no sign of, of martial rule, as far as I can see. But at a time when employment is in jeopardy and the economy is uh, you know, not doing so well, uh, I'm wondering, first of all, what... What was your reaction to it? I mean, did it fall? Did, did you get the sense that uh, you predicted it bang on? Or was there any aspect of it that actually you, you missed the target? Uh, well, so, you know, again, just for the those who might not be familiar of what it is, it does come from the, the name Dark Winter and sort of this phraseology. It's still being used right now. I don't believe that sitting here today is what, the 25th of November, the day before Thanksgiving, I don't think we've seen the end of whatever 
exercise we're kind of in the middle of here um, that may be related to the use of dark winter and that's relation to the bioterror simulation that happened before 9-11, uh, which simulated a smallpox outbreak. Um, now, usually the way things work is these details as far as there was a simulation that simulated one thing and often they turn out to happen in real life. You know, the details aren't the same. So while dark winter may have simulated a smallpox outbreak, it's possible if something like that were to happen, it would be it could be something different, right? Uh, maybe a weaponized coronavirus. And we have seen warnings from the US government and particular agencies warning of the, uh, the potential for an attack on the United States. More likely though, what we could see if there is some sort of attack in the coming weeks, in addition to the election chaos, which is still unfolding, um, it would likely be a cyber terror attack um, because that's one thing that has increasingly popped up in more recent years as far as the, the talk of a cyber 9-11. And that talk has increased. I know about two months ago, the Department of Homeland Security put out a warning stating that the United States could face an EMP attack and that the, you know, the grid could go attack under. And so that's similar to, in addition to the dark winter simulation back in 9-11, my mini documentary, The Darkest Winter, looked at um, the Operation Blackout, which was being ran by um, an Israeli American intelligence company that uh, simulated the election as well. And they imagined the grid being attacked. And they said, you know, that there could be election chaos as well that also resulted in martial law. So there's just a number of different simulations. Another one being the Transition Integrity Project, which was involving kind of anti-Trump or neocons and uh, Democrats from the kind of Biden uh, Clinton Obama faction speaking about the potential for uh, also chaos you know that could result and they basically so all these different simulations have foreseen this idea and when it comes to the transition integrity project they describe four different scenarios and one of them that seems most similar to what we are seeing play out is uh, a Biden win or at least the appearance of the win the media calling that win and then of course Trump disputing that now we're still five, six weeks away from inauguration day, maybe even just seven weeks or so um, on January 20th. And Trump is still kind of fighting his battle in these courts. It doesn't really seem like it's going anywhere. I think I saw one court sort of side with him, but there, you know, there's still a long road ahead if he has any chance in doing that. Um, but I do think that the predicted election chaos could still come. I mean, we're still a good ways from not that I'm hoping for it or, or you know, calling for it or anything like that, but it, we're still weeks away from uh, Inauguration Day. And on Inauguration Day, that is the, where the potential for is, you know, any sort of uh, conflict could happen, right? Because obviously Trump is supposed to kind of leave the White House peacefully or you know, without much hubbub, um, and Biden's supposed to take over. Biden's already giving speeches, speaking as the president-elect and acting in that role. And officially, the Trump administration has... Um, started the transition process, although they're still fighting in the courts. So in the end, it could be just a typical, usual passing of the power from one member of the predator class to another. Um, not because I don't, I don't think there's going to be much differences between the administrations, uh, potentially maybe expanding on programs and things like that. But I do think that uh, for me, putting out the Darkest Winter documentary, mini documentary, the reason I felt inclined to do that is because uh, I know you've talked to Whitney Webb, Whitney and Ryan Christian and myself, we've been trying to get people to pay attention to these simulations and again, the how they pop back up often and, and they've just been, the phrase has been darkest, dark winter has been coming up more and more often. So I guess for me, the goal was like, look, I'm just going to put this information out there. And I, I said several times in the mini documentary that this was not 
about fear or trying to scare people or put them in a state of panic or anything like that. But at the same time, hopefully to encourage people not to give into any push from left or right for chaos in the streets or go fight your neighbor, you know, turn against somebody if they're a Trump supporter or the, you know, fight your neighbor if they're a Biden supporter, whatever, these sort of things that the media would like to have us feed into. It's, it's really something that I wanted to just, I guess, get out into the, the subconscious and say like, look, be prepared for any of these potentialities and let's not give into this push towards division towards violence. And thankfully we haven't really seen that. There was a few violent nights in DC, but most of that seemed to kind of, you know, petered out right now. It's not like overtaking the streets. And I think that is actually kind of telling because despite the media's attempts for the last four years to really push this idea that neighbor or turning against neighbor, I really think it's just the fringes of America, maybe the extreme, the, the true extreme right and extreme left that are kind of pushing at each other and wanting to go fight in the street and, and these sort of things and are kind of reacting and counter reacting with each other. I don't think that right, left, center, et cetera, people generally are at that point, but the media is constantly has been pumping this idea. Are we on the brink of a new civil war? Is a civil war happening? Are we in a cold civil war? And it's, I think that's, that's very dangerous. So one of my goals with the darkest winter mini doc was to kind of try to head off that, that sentiment. Could you explain the, the, the role of separating the population this way? I mean, what, what exactly is being achieved by, by doing this? Uh, by dividing the people? Yeah, I, th I think that, well, I mean, in the most simplest way, the, the strategy is not anything new, right? The uh, divide and conquer strategy. I think that's basically what we're witnessing here. And that I know that your audience is probably familiar that these people, I tend to call them uh, the predator class. They have a plan and they the plan does involve breaking down the United States. It involves, I think, less individual freedom and, and COVID-19 has given the authorities a, a very uh, convenient opportunity to push their systems forward in the sense of perhaps getting rid of cash or encouraging digital um, uh, banking systems, which allow for more tracking and tracing of society, uh, pushing for, you know, setting precedents that basically say, if there's a new COVID spike, lock down the country, lock down the city, uh, lock down the, uh, the state, um, that, you know, just this, what many have start to term this biosecurity state, I think that's what we're seeing. So it seems to serve the purposes better the more divided we are, right? So if you and I are neighbor and you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, if we're fighting each other and thinking that there's no way we could possibly get along and that we're, you know, the worst enemies ever, then there's really no opportunity for us to collaborate, for us to build together, for us to find common ground and maybe to see if there are things that we agree with and if there are things about the system where we might be able to unify and align and collaborate and work together, which I think ultimately is the biggest threat to the system and the people who are kind of managing the system is the people uniting together and coming together uh, in a strong way and a unified way. Uh, obviously, we're never going to agree on everything, but I think that the more divided we are and the less able we are to find any amount of common ground, the easier it is for the media to step into that role and, and again, amplify that meme of Americans are totally divided, we're on the brink of civil war, and then to get us fighting over some issues that maybe aren't the most important and others that do matter, but still nonetheless dividing us. So we're fighting about masks, we're fighting about lockdowns, we're fighting about vaccines, we're fighting about politics, we're, you know, and all these things. And it's, it leaves very little opportunity for people to come together and to really start strengthening these, those bonds. And so I think that's really, 
I mean, it, it's simple, but it's, it's an age old tactic and it's there for a reason that you can, rather than trying to conquer your enemy, perhaps dividing them amongst themselves is an easier way uh, prior to having to use more authoritarian measures. Yeah. Um, I know that a, a major uh, angle of this is the, the second wave, you know, that the, the second wave is coming, um, you know, that that's, that's been going on now for some time. And, and now it certainly seems like everywhere that there's this second wave that's burst forth. I, I'm wondering how is that role of the second wave playing out within the, uh, within the vantage point of the darkest winter? And see, that's, I think, another aspect to consider, right? Because we have these simulations, we've got the election, and then the talk of a second wave, which I don't know if you've heard this, but actually I've seen, according to some media, we already passed the second wave. We're on the potential for a third wave. So I don't know when the second wave happened, but, you know, the point is they're pumping people for more um, COVID shutdowns and for, you know, that, that whole response. And here uh, in the Western world, like the United States, you know, I have lots of family and friends, so I'm still watching very closely you know, just today, Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden was saying, you know, the deaths are rising in all the states and everybody needs to stay home and, you know, avoid seeing family members over Thanksgiving. You know, it's it's clear that that's the message that's being pumped out. And I've been telling friends recently, and uh, I would share with your audience that I suspect, uh, depending on when your audience is hearing this, but let's say by the weekend after Thanksgiving that and the, and the days to follow. So by next week, early next week, we are going to be told that cases are spiking because people traveled, because people met with their family members, because people didn't stay home. Oh, because people went out for Black Friday shopping. And I've already kind of seen the seeds being planted in the media saying that if people decide they need to meet with more than five people, like the mayor in Houston, where I'm from, you know, he put out a message basically telling people to cancel Thanksgiving or to make sure they don't meet with anybody, you know, more than a group of five and things of that sort. Um, clearly, people want to see their families and you know we, we don't even have to get like lost in the whole science debate about it but the point is people want to see their family so people will do that but even if people listened and stayed home i imagine the message will be the same to me this is part of the psychological operation that is basically victim blaming and making people feel insane and, and making them feel guilty for wanting to be around their families uh, so i do think that we're going to see more reports of this second third wave whatever you want to call it coming up after Thanksgiving and leading up to Christmas. Yeah, I know that uh, here in Canada, our Thanksgiving is in October. And, and that's precisely what happened. We had uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, some people were saying that, I mean, back in, I guess it was September, the prime minister is saying, well, we may, we're going to have to alter our behavior around Thanksgiving, but maybe we can save Christmas. And so I, well, the, the Thanksgiving Day came and went, but uh, we started to see a, sh a surge in reporting of, of COVID. And now it's at a point where, like, at least in Winnipeg, uh, where I'm located, it's being locked down. And so they, they've already seen that in some sense, that uh, it's being used. And, and so now uh, going into Black Friday, going into the Christmas season, people are, are starting to bunker down and think, well, you know, how are we going to do this sort of thing? Um, so I... I I wonder if you could bring in the, the other aspect, uh, the, the, the big scene, it seems to me, and that is the, the Great Reset. You know, that's the angle uh, that's endangering Americans and people around the world. I mean, okay, the, the, you know, this is written up by this Klaus Schwab, and uh, there isn't really anything new, as far as I could see, uh, but uh, the, the principles 
the, the COVID is turned out to be a, a useful tool for, for trying, providing a shine and, and a gloss to, to, to really bump it up and, and, and give it a, a new sales source. Could you maybe talk about what, what is for you the main lever that this principle of uh, uh, brings down, you know, that, that, that puts our lives or our freedoms in jeopardy? Yeah, so the Great Reset, of course, is the name being put out for uh, the plan, which, as you said, is not not really a new plan. It's kind of a rebranded plan. I mean, I think the most basic way, it's a term that I'm kind of, uh, you know, don't really use too often because of just the negative connotation, but it's just a rebranding of what many people have come to know as the New World Order, for lack of a better term, or uh, other phrase, you know, people called it Agenda 2030 from the United Nations, which is essentially a call for centralized top-down control of society. Now, the World Economic Forum, the head of the World Economic Forum at the moment is named Klaus Schwab, and he is also a steering committee member of the Bilderberg Group. And he, along with you know the people he's working with and other, other global institutions, are saying that essentially COVID has shown that you know, uh, capitalism and the different economic systems and the, the uh, uh, infrastructure, the healthcare infrastructure, and essentially all of society has shown its weaknesses and has shown the crack, the cracks in its facade. And thus, this presents a rare and you know wonderful opportunity for us to remake society and to reset society in what they are calling the Great Reset. So. This is essentially about using the fourth industrial revolution, which is what an, another book that Klaus Schwab was involved in uh, writing and promoting, I think, in 2016, 2017, uh, which is does relate to the 5G issue, the pushing of 5G and 6G and basically the next generations of digital wireless technology, which they say will herald the Internet of Things, the Internet of Humans, uh, the Internet of Bodies. These are different terms that have come into use. Uh, the Internet of Things basically is just the world we're sort of in the very early stages of, but we will, we will see more in the next couple of years, which is where your house, your home, your phone, your computer, your car, your refrigerator, you know, all kinds of smart things are all interconnected. Each of these having sensors, both to receive and send data, some with microphones, some with um, other devices capable of recording data or transmitting data. And that interconnected um, sort of field of, of devices is what's known as the Internet of Things. And then when we get to the Internet of Bodies, as far as the fourth industrial revolution, that's where human beings, either with wearable technology or implantable technology, we start to become a part of that. Um, there's also this um, uh, talk of uh, shareholder capitalism it is another term. You know, these are these sort of euphemisms that are getting propped up right now by the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. But the, the Great Reset says, as we recognize these systems are unsustainable and COVID is slowing the world down, it's giving us an opportunity to try to remake or reset these different global systems and do so in a more sustainable, equitable way. And again, they like to use flowery language that would sound probably appealing to most unaware people who you know, recognize that we are living in a very unsustainable world. We are living in a world that has a lot of um, issues in the way that our societies are being ran. And many of us probably agree that it should be reset or remade in some capacity. I think that's what many of us are fighting for. Uh, unfortunately, what the members of the World Economic Forum and the others that are working with them, including the Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation, what they have in mind is a centralized top-down authoritarian structure uh, where individuals abandon property, they abandon uh, essentially privacy and, and individuality in order for this larger collective. I think it really does come down to the idea of collectivism versus individual liberty at the end of the day, politically. Um, but that's that's what's being promoted. Eventually, the uh, 
June this year, I think is when the Great Reset first launched and in the book came out about a month or so after that. And since that time, we've now started to see it, you know, Time Magazine did a full spread on it. Um, I think The Guardian and a few other papers have started to use some of the phrases and use some of the memes. They're actually working with a, a marketing company called uh, purpose disruptors, which I've been researching. And they are basically the ones who are designing all the slick graphics. And they're trying to turn it into a, a meme and trying to get this idea trending, you know, among the youth that, you know, let's join, create the reset and join the great reset and these kinds of things. So I do believe we're going to see more and more of this language popping up. And, you know, especially because some of the folks who are involved in the Joe Biden transition team, if he does indeed make his way to the presidency, are directly involved and tied to the Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum. So, you know, that's what we're witnessing right now. And COVID is really giving them this great opportunity. Uh, the World Economic Forum meets every January in Davos, Switzerland. They're supposed to be meeting this January. I believe it's either been delayed. I know it's definitely been relocated from Davos to a different place. But either way, I know for their 2021 agenda, the Great Reset is going to be the focus. And so I'm really encouraging people to keep an eye on what they're talking about. Uh, again, this same institution, the World Economic Forum, who is behind uh, the Great Reset, they were all, they also co-sponsored the Event 201 exercise along with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which simulated a coronavirus pandemic back in October 2019, months before the you know, actual coronavirus that we're told about. Um, they also have simulated um, uh, cyber attacks, as I was mentioning earlier. So you know, a lot of these power players and this kind of web of people are all pushing you know, for chaos. They're pushing for uh, division. They're pushing the potential for some sort of attack on America. And then at the same time saying that, all of this kind of chaos has presented the opportunity to remake society in, in their vision, basically. You're listening to a conversation with documentary producer, freelance investigative journalist, and activist Derek Brose. We'll be back in just a moment. Please stay tuned. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. I'd like to talk about um, Operation Warp Speed. This is the uh, agreement that uh, came together uh, earlier this year. Um, there's been talk about the upcoming vaccines and the threat of bioelectronics and pharmacovigilance. I, you, you wrote a, an article about this not too long ago. Uh, I noticed that you pasted an article um, talking about the chief known uh, Monsef Slawi and, and his, his various uh, connections. Uh, Operation Warp Speed was conceived to, to bring out a vaccine as soon as possible. Um, now, could you comment on what is known about warp speed that, that fills you with concern uh, about bioelectronics and uh, being a part of that larger strategy? Sure. So as you said, uh, Dr. Monsef Slawi, who is a former executive at GlaxoSmithKline, GSK, which is a vaccine manufacturer, and also sat on the board of Moderna and then another company called, called uh, Galvani Bioelectronics, as well as several other companies that are all connected to this industry. Back in May, he was appointed as the lead uh, medical doctor as part of Operation Warp Speed by the Trump administration, along with uh, the health secretary, Alex Azar, who's also a lobbyist for Big Pharma, both men appointed by Donald Trump. And alongside them, alongside the Big Pharma influence, you had the military influence and the lead uh, military official in Operation Warp Speed is General Perna. 
And those three men make up the, the kind of leadership among the many people involved in Operation Warp Speed, which, as you noted, was developed to uh, bring about a COVID-19 vaccine to the United States as quick as possible. And they appear to be uh, they appear to have done that where we are now just weeks away from the vaccines actually making their way to the streets. I did a couple of reports, one today and yesterday about this. And uh, again, in my hometown in Houston, just on Monday, the mayor and the local health authority announced that they're expecting vaccines to be delivered within weeks, potentially as early as December 12th. So, I mean, these this, this is just weeks away from being the beginning of distribution around the United States. Um, what worries me is, as I said, it's a big pharma military operation at it, and it's being done in a way that we've never seen. This is a public-private partnership, which is a whole problem all, all to itself. Public-private partnerships allow the government to essentially create state capitalism, corporatism. Some might say fascism. Just this merger between corporate and state, and you know they get to get tax breaks, they get to get write-offs, and the people, of course, the taxpayer are always paying for this. So you have the financial aspect of it, but also with the case of Operation Warp Speed. It is, to me, the fact that this is being conducted as a military operation. Now, they haven't set, come out and said that the American people are going to be held down by members of the military and forcibly injected in their arms. I'm not claiming that, uh, that that's where we're at, although I do have fears that eventually it could get to that point, or at least very much limiting people's ability to exist in you know, so-called regular society should they choose not to get a COVID vaccine. Now, just about a week ago, General Perna and Monsef Slaoui and Alex Azar held a press conference where they were announcing that uh, they were announcing a few things about Operation Warp Speed, but they were giving the first update since June from the Trump administration. And they said, uh, specifically General Perna said that once the FDA issues an emergency use authorization for any of the vaccines that, that are going to apply for it, then within 24 hours of that approval, the military will be around the country distributing that vaccine. And so an emergency use authorization is basically as it sounds, it's authorization to use something in an emergency like a vaccine or some other drug and particularly saying that, look, we rushed this through. It might not have conducted every single step that we typically do, but we believe it's passed all enough necessary tests and we're going to go ahead and rush it through. So that was from General Perna. And he said all of America, he didn't say again, all of Americans are going to be forced, but he did say within 24 hours of that approval, all of America will be uh, receiving the vaccines. And he goes on again, like with the Great Reset language to say it's going to be fair and equitable. Everybody will get one, uh, not just rich white people, but people of color, poor people. You know, they really are trying to market it that way. Um, I would say targeting more than anything, um, including with indigenous folks. So that that statement came out. And then literally 24 hours later, Pfizer and Moderna began announcing that they were applying for emergency use authorization. They have both now officially put this in to the FDA. So that process could take weeks, take weeks. But within weeks, as soon as that gets approved, then if General Perna is keeping his word within 24 hours of that approval, the military is going to start being, um, you know, going around the United States to distribute these vaccines. And as part of Operation Warp Speed, they have said that they have divided the United States into 64 jurisdictions, the 50 states and in 12 territories. And, and so they have a map of how this is divided up and which parts of the military are going, which places, which I'm assuming the public will find out shortly. So that's all within the last week. And then, as I said, cities like Houston and others are starting to announce that to let their people know we are preparing to receive vaccines. The mayor and the Houston Health Authority both said that they're expecting the companies to start delivering the vaccines within the next few weeks. And they're gonna give it first to healthcare workers who are dealing with COVID 
patients. And then the elderly, they're talking about going to assisted living homes and, you know, just old folks homes and things of that sort. Uh, and then they're going to get to people of color, particularly they have said African-Americans. Um, and then they, they're going to go, you know, kind of down the line of who they view as high risk before it's kind of out to the public. So we still might be months away before that, but we're only weeks away from these vaccines being completely approved for the use in the United States and other countries as well. And then the beginning of this massive military operation, which for me as an American, and I don't know, it just the idea of the military just being distributed all around the country on the homeland for this kind of purpose, which I understand that from a mainstream perspective, these folks believe that you know, this is the vac. This is this virus is going to kill America, and this is something we're solving together. And we need the help of the military because it's been sold to us like this is a war. You know, that's the whole thing. The language that they're using is like this is a war on this virus, just like the war on terror. It's the same kind of concept. So people believe we need the military out there. We need the military and the army and the national guard around distributing these vaccines. And you know, it it doesn't give me much hope, especially because ju even just today before we recorded this, uh, I saw an article talking about the CEO of Moderna actually just gave an interview to Axios. And he said in that interview that they can't even hundred percent say that the, the vaccine they're going to give people is actually going to stop transmission of the virus. So, you know, they, they're approving these things, but yet at the same time, there's no even guarantee that it's going to do what they're claiming you need to get it to do. So, I mean, all of it just to me is, is setting off red flags. I, I know that uh, I had a guest on the show uh, earlier and uh, he, he was raising the issue of, uh, of 5G and how that might interact with the COVID. Um, I think he was quoting uh, from the Rockefeller document of 2010, but I think what I asked you about the, the prospects of COVID opening up the opportunity to insert something into our systems that, that interacts with 5G and, and 6G. Um, I mean, I, I know this could be part of the whole I know Google and or Oracle are involved in uh, in helping to, to track the data from uh, you know from each person. So I mean, in between you know, 5G and its its need to track everything, as you said earlier, you everything is part of the, the internet, including us. And so you know, this seems like the the ideal opportunity. But maybe can you confirm that in any way? Uh, you know, what what is there to indicate that? Uh, you know, the insertion of, uh, you know, nano patch or, or any other uh, technology, biotechnology is, is going to be going along with the vaccine. All right. So, yeah, you, you uh, I'm sorry that you, I forgot you had mentioned the bioelectronics. I will, because I do think that those things are interconnected. So one of the things that Monsef Slaoui, who's the, again, the head of Operation Warp Speed, his company, or the, one of the companies he sits on the board of Galvani Bioelectronics, is specifically developing and marketing products that they describe, not my words, as implantable devices, micro implantable devices that are electronic devices that they say can say, send signals through the body for various types of illnesses and, and maybe potentially do have some sort of good application. Uh, in the context of COVID, though, as you've mentioned with pharmacovigilance, Google and Oracle are planning to track every single person who gets the vaccine for up to two years. And that's, again, was confirmed by the CEO of Moderna when he said, you know, this is why we need to study people and make sure they're okay, because we're witnessing a live experiment. So I do think that in order for things to go the way they want, they need 5G and 6G technology. And, and the, 
the way that it operates and the low latency that we're promised that things are going to be so fast that we can move into this digital world with driverless vehicles. And again, conveniently, the great reset is promoting the idea that we shouldn't drive anymore. We should move into this, you know, so, so many of it play, it, it's all sort of tied into one thing. I think that pushing COVID and pushing the idea that we need to track people for one, it's just convenient to track all the people into an even newer degree, not just by their cell phones, but literally by their biology. Um, which is a very scary thought because we're told that various symptoms could alert the authorities to the potential that you have COVID. So if you're wearing a, a vital patch or you have one of these bioelectronics implanted in you, that's supposed to be tracking your vital signs and sending that to the local doctors. If your temperature goes too high or if some other vital signs that they interpret as potentially having COVID, well, then you might, you know, that could alert the authorities and then you could get an alert saying, Hey, you need to stay home for the next two weeks, you know, or, Hey, maybe we need to isolate you. Maybe we need to quarantine you. Um, I think that these things are interconnected. I do want to say that, and I know this isn't what you're implying, but there was that, I think that this part of 5g that you're bringing up is very important. And one of my documentaries is called the 5g Trojan horse and tries to go in depth to show the various dangers associated with 5g. Unfortunately, since COVID began, there are also, I think a lot of false theories that get thrown out there. 5G is definitely a health hazard, but I don't believe 5G is causing COVID or is COVID or that they're one and the same. Although 5G and EMFs in general can weaken the immune system. It's not the same thing. And I think that that is unfortunate that that conversation blew up early earlier this year when COVID started because it has taken away from the very re real legitimate concern of 5G, both related to surveillance, health, et cetera. And the points that you're bringing up is, is, is really a part of that discussion that without 5G and 6G, they would not be able to push this biosecurity state forward because the current technology doesn't support it. it. It couldn't happen without a move towards lower latency and everything that they're um, calling for. Unfortunately, that's also going, it will harm people's health in the long term and could potentially make people more susceptible to illnesses like respiratory illnesses and other things. So they are connected, but not in the way that many people have talked about. But overall, the 5G world, the digital panopticon, what they call the smart city future, all of that is, is part of the push, the same push that we're seeing with COVID. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that we're going to see is uh, just as one other example in the medical industry, in the health industry, you know, people are saying that the authorities are saying it's not always safe for you to go to the doctor or go to the hospital anymore. Everybody's doing Zoom calls, right? You can go to see your doctor via Zoom now. That's called telemedicine or distance medicine. Same thing with the, the, the kids in the education, distance learning, um, uh, digital education, these sort of things, Zoom classes. It's the push into that fourth industrial revolution world where we're dependent on 5G and 6G. And in many cases, we're kind of abandoning the physical face-to-face -face interaction for simply full-on digital uh, reality. And that is, again, a part of their, their agenda yeah, I think that the, the term fourth industrial revolution is about to be a, a major uh, term as well. Um, when I first heard about you, Derek, it, it was in the, uh, you know, from the uh, whole 5G scenario and, and, and putting out the, the warnings. I mean, you were, uh, you know, presented to the city council on a number of occasions and uh, made a documentary. You ran for mayor, by the way. Um, what I would ask you is, do you see any changes because with this pandemic exploding have there been any what's been happening at in terms of uh, the, the 5g technology i mean have, have they made more have they advanced or escalated the the construction 
of the 5 5G antennas, especially with, you know, with, with places being shut down uh, and so on. As, as the five, has the 5G thing stood up, or, or has any other aspect of this um, technology gone through any advancements over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. 5G has been expanded throughout the pandemic. And, and this was one of the things that I can honestly say I was sort of skeptical, not that 5G wasn't being rolled out, but that people were saying, look, you know, while we're not paying attention, they're rolling out 5G, you know, during lockdowns and things of that sort. And there was lots of videos going around where people were saying, look, I see this van parked out of the school and these kinds of claims. And, you know, those things, sometimes they're, they're hard to trust. A lot of things get floated around on the internet. But then I did, when I sort of put out a call saying, asking parents or anybody, hey, if you've seen weird things at your local school during lockdowns, please do reach out to me. And I had a number of people across the United States send me videos, pictures, and people speaking from within you know, various school departments telling me that they, they were seeing that contracts were being uh, being signed for, to bring on 5G. And there's actually a really good investigation that came out recently from Wired Magazine and it doesn't mention 5G specifically, but again, what the technology they're describing is underpinned by 5G. What they said is that uh, facial recognition has seen a massive growth uh, during COVID. That basically, and they even admitted, which I thought was good for a more mainstream magazine, that it doesn't make any sense. That theoretically, you could argue thermal scanners need to be installed in certain places, right? That's not, I'm not calling for that, but if you think that, okay, temperature is an indication of COVID potential COVID, you know, it could be anything that makes more sense. Whereas a facial recognition camera at a school on children has nothing to do with whether or not that kid is sick. It doesn't tell you anything about their symptoms their you know, any of that, but there are a number of uh, companies around the United States that are marketing to schools during this time. And, and schools are starting to expand that. And of course, this was already sort of happening over the last few years due to school shootings and, and um, these sort of things. So schools are already becoming more and more prison-like, but definitely again, 5G technology is a part of that. In addition to what I was describing a moment ago with the tele-education and the distance learning, those things um, could exist prior to 5G, of course, but in order for them to have hundreds of students all zooming in all, you know, across the country, across the world, the arguments I've already seen them being made way back early uh, in the COVID when things first started to happen. I remember there was a, a few articles saying uh, so many people are watching Netflix and it's starting to, you know, to slow the speed of the internet because so many people are watching, which I saw as a clear call for, Hey, well, this is why we need to upgrade our internet to 5g. This is why everybody needs to be on 5g. If we all had 5g, there'd be no lag. You know, we could watch our movies and stay home all the time. So I do think that the push in the schools and elsewhere is definitely indicative of something that was already existing prior to COVID. But like with many things, it's checking off a lot of those boxes. And I think like with 9-11, it's sort of like a free-for-all. People are just pushing their agendas straight forward through, you know, and uh, if you can blame it on COVID, you can probably get people to support it. You're listening to documentary producer, freelance journalist, and activist Derek Bros on the Global Research News Hour. Um, so I, I know that uh, there's a lot of concern about uh, the uh, the health risks associated with uh, uh, with 5G. I mean, you've done a lot of reporting on it. I've been doing a lot of reporting on it. You could talk. That could be the basis of one show. I'm wondering though if you could talk about uh, the you know other aspects uh, in terms of the uh, you know whether whether this threatens our civil liberties and our privacy in any way. Is this 
a danger associated with it. And by embracing 5G, have we in effect crossed that uh, door of no return? I do think that it's clear that 5G and the technology that it allows is going to make it easier for surveillance. So it's not that 5G just, you know, what they're calling 5G, the spectrum in that range is inherently, you know, going to lead to surveillance. But clearly that lower latency, the expansion of these internet of things, all of that comes along with lack of privacy and invasions of privacy to the point that the ACLU a couple of years ago, the American Civil Liberties Union in California, um, they put out a report called how to, it was meant specifically for city councils and mayors. And that's, you know, you mentioned I was going to speak at city council. That was one of the things I was trying to share with them that they had put together this helpful guide, which was just tips for local officials who would listen uh, for how to prevent smart cities from turning into surveillance cities, which just called about this and said like, look, if we're going to rush in towards creating smart cities, the people need to be informed on how much data is being collected, where that data is being stored, who has access to that data, and on and on and on. Of course, we know that's not the case, that most people, if they know anything about 5G, it's just that, hey, Verizon said if I buy a phone now, I get an extra one for free, and it's going to make my movies 100 times faster and whatever. There's no real discussion on what it actually means, how that move towards a city or a life where there's cameras all around you. You know, another aspect I think of this smart city grid is like the Amazon ring cameras and other doorbell cameras, which we now are learning and people uh, like myself have been warning are going to be outfitted with facial recognition technology because they're owned by Amazon and Amazon's been designing their own facial recognition tool called recognition. And they've been selling that to local police departments. So all of this, this sort of digital panopticon that has been on the rise since 9-11 is going to be increased at a, an exponential rate due to the low latency and the speed that we're being promised with 5G. And it may take a couple of years for it to really get established, but this is, it's very clear that it's, it's right on the horizon. I mean, there have been hundreds of uh, organizations, well-credentialed expert organizations uh, and artificial intelligence experts warning about the rise of facial recognition, warning about the rise of reliance on AI. And again, all of this is connected back to 5G and this internet of things world that we're being kind of pushed to whether you like it or not. I mean, it's just Houston was one of the first cities to declare itself a smart city and to start building a smart city back in 2018. There's some places in Korea and other countries that are already pretty far advanced in this. And we can see how this 5G digital panopticon world also has tend, uh, you know, lended itself towards social credit scores and this idea of people being punished for their social behaviors. How do you do that? Well, you have a system like 5G and 6G, which has low latency that can connect to the internet of things, uh, the driverless vehicles, the facial recognition cameras and all of that. So when somebody's watching down the street, they're constantly being monitored. If they litter in the street, well, their picture will be taken, they'll be immediately identified. And in the case of Korea, their face will be plastered all over digital screens to sort of do a public kind of social shaming, in addition to taking away a couple of points from their social credit score. The social credit score is different than a typical credit score in this sense that in China, for example, over 100 million people last year were unable to fly out of their home country because their social credit score was too low. Now, when you think about that in the context of COVID, perhaps you didn't wear your mask today when you went outside. You know, you didn't get your vaccine yet, even though everybody's been telling you how safe it is. Those are things that could cause your social credit score to go down. And as we're already seeing, could lead to people being limited in where they can travel, work, play, you know, shop, etc. Yeah. Um, I, uh, 
do you ever, sorry, I, I don't mean this in, a, in any kind of a demeaning way, but like with the, the level of, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the talk about how this is, uh, this, you know, the virus and 5G and, and all of those associates, I mean, you must have been called a, a conspiracy theorist uh, from them. What, what what do you say in reply when you're called a conspiracy theorist? I mean, you you saying, well, you know, you know what, what 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 do you do in that instance? Uh, well, that's happened as recently as just today before our conversation, and definitely it's something I've gotten used to. Um, well, I, I should say it's I'm not quite gotten used to it, but I'm definitely. You know, it's, it's not uncommon over the last 10 years of doing this. You know, I really, I just try to let it go, but I'm not always so great at that. As, as I'm sure you understand, we are in this particular line of work because we care about getting truth out, because we want to get information out. And that is an emotional investment one way or another. You know, we, tr we stick to the logic, we stick to the facts, but also our emotions get in there. And so it is frustrating and uh, can be enraging even when people refuse to look at information and instead, uh, you know, resort to simple slander like conspiracy theorists and then in this case covid denier science denier etc cetera, etc cetera, because as i'm sure you know these terms are short circuits to crit critical thinking and so all one has to all they believe is just throw that phrase at somebody and there's no reason to think any further there's no reason to listen to them we now know that they're just uh you know someone to laugh at not to take seriously and unfortunately that does work for some people but uh, i just try to push on man i actually did have to remind myself earlier this morning to be compassionate and to remember that for me, the reason I started to do this first as an activist and then a couple of years into it, starting to take, you know, my journalism and my writing and, um, you know, the written word seriously and, and really wanting to get into investigative journalism is that the reason I'm driven to do these things is because I have a serious and realistic desire to help people, to try to reach people, not because I have all the answers, of course, but because in this journey of me learning a lot about the world, I've realized how much lies we've been told. And I think there are a lot of people who are still operating under those false systems. And so it's hard for them to see some of the things we've talked about today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try not to let it take, you know, hit me too hard, but every now and then that you, you, you get sucked into debating with somebody that you just realize, all right, this is going nowhere. You know, they're not listening to me. And, you know, I, I, I think it's just, you know, wasting each other's time, but, you know, I still try to reach people where I can, but ultimately, if people, you know, I try to, I guess, assume that the people who are meant to hear my words are going to hear them and the people who are ready to will be ready to hear them. And if not, then, you know, I don't know what else we can do. Okay. Well, um, Derek, I, I think we're at the end of our time now, but uh, it's been very um, interesting, inspiring and enlightening to, to have you on the show. Uh, maybe we could even have you back soon. Um, but I, I'd like to thank you again. And uh well, hope, hope you wish for you all the best. I guess you're going to be spending some time in Mexico for uh, I don't know how long, but uh, hopefully it'll get you uh, through the uh, the presidency of Biden and uh, the, the pandemic and everything else that's uh, coming our way. So thank you very much for being a, pres a guest on our show. Really appreciate it. Hey, Michael, thank you. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you. And we've been speaking to Derek Brose. He is an author, an activist, and a staff writer for TheLastVagabond.com. There was some news out of Edmonton, Alberta earlier this month. One of the speakers was Dr. Roger Hodkinson. He's the CEO of Western Medical Assessments, providing independent medical examinations to insurance companies, employers, and lawyers. 
He is the CEO of a biotech company that manufactures COVID tests. He is also a general practitioner in the UK and Canada, a pathologist with the Medical Examiner's Office in Edmonton, and the president of the Alberta Society of Laboratory Physicians, and he received his medical degree at Cambridge University. His presentation, compressed into five minutes, reveals a position on masking and on the treatment of COVID generally that is at odds with the mainstream position on the subject. Here is a clip of what he said. The bottom line is simply this. There is utterly unfounded public hysteria driven by the media and politicians. It's outrageous. This is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on an unsuspecting public. There is absolutely nothing that can be done to contain this virus other than protecting older, more vulnerable people. It should be thought of nothing more than a bad flu season. This is not Ebola. It's not SARS. It's politics playing medicine, and that's a very dangerous game. There is no action of any kind needed other than what happened last year when we got, uh, felt unwell. We stayed home, we took chicken noodle soup, we didn't visit Granny, and we decided when we would return to work. We didn't have anyone, need anyone to tell us. Masks are utterly useless. There is no evidence base for their effectiveness whatsoever. Paper masks and fabric masks are simply virtue signaling. They're not even worn effectively most of the time. It's, it's utterly ridiculous seeing these unfortunate, uneducated people, I'm not saying that in a perjurative sense, seeing these people walking around like lemmings, obeying without any knowledge base to put the mask on their face. Social distancing is also useless because COVID is spread by aerosols, which travel 30 meters or so before landing. Enclosures have had such terrible unintended consequences. They should, you, everywhere should be open tomorrow, as was stated in the Great Barrington Declaration that I circulated prior to this meeting. And a word on testing. I do want to emphasize that I'm in the business of, te of testing for COVID. I do want to emphasize that positive test results do not, underlined in neon, mean a clinical infection. It's simply driving public hysteria, and all testing should stop unless you're presenting to hospital with some respiratory problem. All that should be done is to protect the vulnerable and to give them all in the nursing homes that are under your control. Give them all three to 5,000 international units of vitamin D every day, which, is, which has been shown to radically reduce the likelihood of infection. And I would remind you all that using the province's own statistics, the risk of death under 65 in this province is one in 300,000. One in 300,000. You've got to get a grip on this. That was Dr. Roger Hodkinson speaking in Edmonton. While some high-ranking officials are going to great lengths to distance themselves, Dr. Hodkinson has started part one on a four-part series entitled The Coronavirus Pandemic and Analysis. It's published at the site lockdownskeptics.org. That's all for this week. Join us next week when we will delve into the current state of the climate crisis. 
You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio stations CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaking, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for listening.